Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Seeking Witchcraft. It's me, your host, Ashley. And today we're going to be talking about the magical voice part two. And to help this discussion is the wonderful Gabby. So, Gabby, thank you so much for coming back to talk about this. Thank you so much, Ashley. It's a pleasure to come back and speak to you about this. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited to dive into, into part two. Part one, I learned a lot and there's definitely some things I'm taking back to my own group for that. And I cannot wait to hear what you have to say in part two and all of the cool things we're going to go over. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. It was so much fun. Um, in the last episode, we explored some examples of when we could use the magical voice. And since we've got the luxury of two episodes, which is so fabulous, um, I thought it might be nice to explore um, the magical voice a bit deeply and how and when we use it um, so we can start to find our own magical voice. Um, I had an example of a call to ritual chant that can be either spoken or sung and I thought it might be nice to start off with that before we get into any practical bits and discussions because it is a call to ritual so I thought you know that would be appropriate to, to do for this. Yeah. Let's get into it. Um, excellent. So the words, are, I'll, I'll say the words and then I'll sing it so you can see the difference between using, uh, like speaking and, and singing in this. So the words are, come gather, O witches, come heed my call. By the horn and the drum, come witches all. Come gather, O witches, to conjure your spell and dance for the old ones by stang, wand and bell. Come gather, O witches, come heed my call. Dance for the old ones, dance witches all. And so that's a call to ritual. And I love sung, that. Yeah, it's fun. We wrote it for the 2017 Australian Wiccan Conference as um, the way of bringing everybody into the circle space from across the um, the kind of scout camp kind of thing. Um, so the sung version goes, <clears throat> Come gather, all witches, come heed my call by the horn and the drum, come witches all. Come gather, O witches, to conjure your spell and dance for the old ones by stang, wand, and bell. Come gather, O witches, come heed my call. Dance for the old ones, dance, witches all. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So it's fun. Um, so sometimes we do it as the musical version. Sometimes we do it as the spoken version or very shouted version, depending on how far across a field you need to to call people um, back to the gathering space. but um, And I've also used it a lot, you know, the last couple of years. We've done a lot of online gatherings and conferences and things. So I've used that a lot as part of the opening to um, a conference after we've done our, um, we do an acknowledgement of country in Australia a lot, as people can hear from um, who maybe hadn't listened to the first one and should go back and listen to it. I'm from Australia. So as you can hear by the accent, and we always do an acknowledgement of country before we start anything, which is that we acknowledge the um, the elders of this place and the um, elders past, present and future acknowledge the traditional owners of the land. So we say that each time and then um, we might go into something like calling people into the ritual space. 
So that's a um, a call to ritual. And, um, and it is quite early in the morning, so um, I probably should have warmed up a bit more when I'm about to talk about warming up. Um, but um, so my voice is probably a bit rough in that one. But if you are going to sing all out in a ritual, then it's probably a good idea to actually warm up beforehand, which I did a tiny bit of, but um, I can probably do a bit more as we're talking. Um, you can find lots of exercises online and there's a reason that professional singers warm up so think of singing as using muscles and you aren't going to do a high impact session of exercise without warming up and you might have a method of preparing for a ritual or for spell work that you use a lot and you could incorporate some basic vocal exercises into it as well as some gentle movement and you could make a mini ritual routine of it so get your body and your voice warmed up as you begin your process of grounding and centering. So whatever your technique is that you might have before a ritual, before you even get to, say, calling people to a ritual if that's something that you do, you could incorporate some kind of body movement so you're grounding and centering, you're getting your muscles warmed up, in a way that um, it could be a yoga pose, it could be just sitting quietly but stretching, especially if you're going to be doing a lot of dancing in the ritual. And it could also be warming up your voice. Um, some groups do have particular ways of doing that, but it is something to think about. Have you ever done anything like that at all, Ash? Yeah. So when uh, when I was in um, middle school, I was in chorus and a little bit in high school too. So we definitely did a lot of warming up prior to actually singing. So all, all of that sounds, it's very familiar to me. Yeah. So, and I don't see any reason why we can't incorporate that into our rituals. We can make it magical and make it fun. And um, I mean, uh, Joe, who was on your wand podcast, we sing together a lot. I think I mentioned that last, uh, last episode mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. we yep. will, um, if we're both doing invocations together or we're doing a lot of heavy chanting in a ritual, we will do lots of warming up beforehand. Also, with probably a, a cough lolly stuffed down your bra if you need it, because if you're out in the, um, if you're out in the in a field somewhere and or in a park and you're singing and doing that and you've got cold air, sometimes it gets a bit you everything gets a bit scratchy. So um, there is a trick to like in a pouch or in a if you're uh, wearing a bra or have a pocket or something stick a little coffee down there so you can suck on it a bit before you start doing your big magical thing I know it sounds really unmagical but it actually works <laughs> and the last thing you want to do is halfway through chanting something or intoning something is to lose your voice um so warming up is definitely important but sometimes the little sacred cough lolly is also really good um as is things like um knowing what you're allergic to incense wise I find that benzoin really um takes literally takes my voice away so if I'm in a circle and someone's used benzoin in their incense and I go to do something my voice just disappears so it's a really interesting kind of thing that can happen so sometimes it's not just um that you aren't warming up correctly or anything it could be just that there's something in the environment that's not letting you um to speak so that that is something to think about sometimes (laughs) That's definitely true. Uh, you know, I've definitely been in circles before where I'm one of those people that I love a lot of incense. I mean, mm, as, you know, as you should, that's fine. Yeah, as you should, you got to smoke out the room. Like that's the fun part. And uh, I've noticed while doing that, that if you have too much incense, which I mean, is there really too much? Unfortunately, uh, yeah, the, I know. I know. It, it, the answer can be yes. If you're in a small what is close the thing space. of which you speak, I mean, really. <laughs> but yeah, I, I've noticed that um, depending on where you're doing circles, I would imagine that the majority of people who are doing any sort of circles are 
unless they're uh, in a nice climate or have private space outside, they're probably doing it indoors. And Indeed. sometimes you have to take into account the um, how much like air and ventilation actually gets into that room. Because I've circled in rooms where the ventilation is like non-existent and you just burn a little bit of incense and you're choking on the Indeed. inside. So it, it, it's really unpleasant. And let alone trying to maybe do some sort of energy raising on top of that, where you're running around in circles, maybe chanting something or saying something. Mm-hmm. It's it really like you just find yourself choking because you're breathing in smoke, you know? Indeed. And it's all about balance in everything. So yes, we want to have lots and lots of incense, but we also want to be able to breathe. So <laughs> taking yeah. those practical, it's practical witchcraft. It's And I know like you, you might see like gorgeous photos of things on Instagram and everything, but in reality, that's been set up to have a photo taken of it with like all of that incense or all that beautiful things. In reality, you've got to make sure you're not tripping over things, that you've got room to, that you can breathe, that you have room to um, to stand in a way that's going to work for you, that you can dance, that you're not going to trip over things um, and that you can see through the smoke. It's all the normal health and safety stuff that you would do running any kind of um, event or ceremony, you also need to take into consideration when you're setting up for a a ritual space, even if you're by yourself, because if you're going, oh, yeah, this incense is fabulous and I'm putting more and more on, and then you suddenly turn around and you trip over the cauldron that you've got on the floor because you're getting enamoured of the incense but you can't breathe and you can't see, then it's um, you've got to be practical about that. As much as the aesthetic is fabulous, it's um, you do need to make sure that everything is safe and breathing, you know, is a thing that you really need to be able to do. Yeah. You know, as a total aside real uh, about incense and all of that, um, this is just like a fun story that happened to me a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I was um, setting up some circle stuff in the middle of the day and I had incense going and I didn't notice how much incense we had going because it just, I don't know, for me, it was standard. And normally if I do circle things, I'm doing it in the evening. So it's not a big deal. But this is the middle of the day. Because, <laughs> you know, sometimes you got to do what you got to do with the time that you have. And uh, I live in an apartment building. And I heard somebody walk by my front door and very loudly say, wow, this hallway is really smoky. And <laughs> I, that really took me out of the moment. And I was just like, oh, my God. I was mortified. Because you're not supposed to have candles or anything. Mm. Um, technically... Technically, when I signed my lease here, I did ask them about incense and they were like, well, it's not in the lease that you can't have that. And I was like, cool. So technically speaking, there's nothing in my lease about not being able to burn incense, which is what I was doing. But I was definitely a little like miffed. I was like, I didn't consider (laughs) this incense would be traveling outside my front door. Um, But apparently it went all the way into the hallway. So, yep. But that shows you how the... um the air moves in your apartment and out into the hallway. So that's a good thing to know. Um, So, you know, if there is something that happens Um, and yeah, so being able to breathe in a ritual space is, is like ideal. I mean, being able to breathe in any space is, is very much a very important thing, but we also use breath properly in singing and in magical and ritual practices. And you touched on that um, in an episode Um, a previous episode about talking about breathing and breath and like Mm -hmm, everything. mm -hmm. Yeah. And like everything to do with magical practice, we're striving for an understanding and control 
because what we're doing in a lot of our ritual practices is to manipulate our breathing for a purpose. So we might practice breathing properly in order to hold a note for longer when we're intoning with the magical voice. But um, we might also be chanting and dancing in a circle and so we need to control our breathing so we're not puffing out and trailing off on each line or not all taking breaths at different times. Sometimes you want that, sometimes you don't. Um, so a good dancing chant would have short phrases so that the chanters can breathe appropriately. And I'm sure many of us listening have experienced the not quite right chant where it's just really hard to fit the phrase in before you have to take a breath or the rhythm just doesn't work well or there's an unforeseen tongue twister when the chant gets faster. So it's always a good idea to practice your chants and your chanting because breathing is important. So we can adjust chants for breathing and we can adjust how we're breathing to the chant. We just have to practice it so we know what we're going to do because breath also matters in the speed or the tempo of what we're doing with the magical voice. And a lot of chants speed up, so we need to be able to cope with that. And some people have breathing issues besides the huge amount of incenses in the circle. It might be that they do have um, breathing issues and they may not be able to chant long phrases. So um, you want to find that balance between being able to get all the words out, getting the words out well, making sure that people can breathe and that they're not hyperventilating at the same time or that they're not running out of breath. So it's not just about the breath. It's also about what they're trying to sing or what they're trying to breathe. Um and how they're chanting so you really want to um to incorporate an understanding of breath work into a lot of what you're doing in group work you can repeat the same word under a main chant so if you've got someone who can't hold a note well and they can't um chant any long phrases it could be that you've got a group of people if you're if you're with a group that a group of people are chanting the long phrases and someone else is just chanting one word simply underneath it and that adds a really good layer to what it is that you're doing but they're not struggling um, outside of their own capability or health concerns to be able to um, so they can join in the chant but they can still um, do to do a chant to their capability because we're trying to be inclusive about how we are working with our chants because you don't want people to feel left out some people just don't want to chant it's not their thing um, but and they might want to play a drum or something but you can also um, record a chant onto, um, like record it and play it back and have people chanting other bits of it. Or if you're by yourself, you could record the chant and then you can also chant along to that recording as you're working in your ritual space because that will give you a bit more layer and um, it means that if it's recorded, you can't go off on a tangent and um, change the rhythm, but at least you've got something there that's a really good base. Um we really need to know what we're doing um, and what works for the individual and for the group. So um, you also could have a witch that's really good at channeling energy but not really good at chanting. So you could work with that. So maybe they're standing in the centre of the ritual channeling everything and everyone else is dancing and chanting around them and, and pushing that energy towards them and then they're sending it off somewhere. So there's different techniques that you can use for group work and for solitary work in how you're breathing and how you're controlling, how you're chanting and things like that. So breath is basically something in our magical toolkit. It's not strange and, and weird. It's part of we do it naturally every day. But if we understand how we're doing it in relation to our magic, then we can use it as part of 
our tools because it is um, something that we are using deliberately and magic is all about being deliberate in what it is that you're doing. Yes, there's freeform things, but you can't do a freeform thing if you don't understand what it is that you're doing to start with. And we can't be inclusive about what we're doing in our rituals without um, understanding what it is that we're doing. So if we understand it, we can adapt and change what we're doing to make sure that everyone's comfortable in our rituals or that ourselves are comfortable in our rituals. Um, have you Have you worked with that? Ashley, at all where you've got, um, you know, people have got different abilities. Oh yeah, uh, definitely. You know, my coven sister, uh, I think I mentioned this on my last episode or with the episode about breathing. She is very good at pushing energy while she is traveling and moving around. Whereas I'm one of those people that I'm a lot better if I kind of stand still and like focus on what I'm doing. Um, you know, I know there's some, like, like you said, like there might be people who are better at chanting and that's how they're able to move and push that energy around. But then people like me, I might not find that completely distracting, but it might be a little harder for me, but it's easier for me to tone or like tune in on other people doing it. So I think it's really important to play on the strengths of the people that you're working with within your circle. And I also think it's really important to test out all of the different methods too, even if you don't think that you're going to be good at something right off the bat, Mm. because you might find out that you actually are that happened with me in scrying. Um, that's not necessarily what we're talking about, but it's one of those things that I was like, oh, there's no way I'm going to get this. And then like the first time I tried it, I was like, oh, wow, this is great. You yeah. never know what your, your little secret talent is. Well, when we do large group rituals for like big gatherings or big conferences and things, we try and throw deliberately and with purpose and hopefully taste um, a whole lot of different techniques into rituals. And we might do workshops where people will learn a particular skill and that that's going to be used in the main ritual as well. So you can incorporate different ways of chanting, different ways of invocation, different ways of movement. And I've got some of them in um, in my notes for today as well, because there's things that uh, some people resonate with and others don't. So you could give people a really good taste, especially when you've got like for some of the um, the big events that we run for, um, for Wiccan um people and and for witchcraft that you've got people who are really experienced there might be initiates you've also got a lot of people that are um they're they're witches and pagans they don't really want to work with a group but once a year they'll come to this big event because it travels around the country and um but they can get to work with other people in a way that they wouldn't but they also can experience different techniques that they also might not do but they can also do it in a workshop but in a ritual context so you find out the things that work for you and one of the different like techniques that's been used on uh there's a public full moon ritual where i am in sydney that's been running for 25 years i literally just did the um the anniversary um ritual for that last week but the um there's a thing that's done there called the howl and it is a technique that's used by lots of people it's um and i'm going to explain it a bit later about how to use it but it um it's working with lots of people intoning a note and we discussed a bit of intoning last time and we'll go into it a bit more but it's people holding a note and it goes up the scale and then it's released into a kind of wolf's howl at the end but it's something that can because there's a lot of people doing it people can take breaths at different times um of course we're not really doing it during the pandemic because you know, a whole bunch of people facing inwards, um, sustaining long notes and breathing all over each other is not something you really want to do. But um, 
so that's something that's kind of inclusive to people. You can have people standing in the centre. You can have people wandering around the outside of this huddle of people chanting and, and intoning. But we're doing it because it, it's an experience that someone who works by themselves would not get before. Um, so you, we can use breath and music and song and chanting to give people the experience of energy work that you can't do when you're by yourself. As much as you record different layers of stuff, which is a valid way of doing it, um, you can't experience that by yourself because it's they're a different type of working so being able to give people an experience even if it's not their thing but just to experience that group work in a safe environment um, I think is really good because they find that their voice will join in with other people and create this thing that's greater than the sum of all of the parts and that's part of the magic of it and the look on people's faces when they've done something like that in a kind of public ritual is fabulous. It's like, I didn't know that I could do that. I didn't know that I could mesh with people like that in a way that was deliberate and empowering as we're empowering something else at the same time. And I think that's, it's really important to be, um, to understand your tools and to use them in a way that makes sense for the people that are participating. We're not, um, as ritual organisers, we are, yes, imposing our will and we're manipulating the energy of people, but we're doing it in a way that is consensual and that is bringing people into balance That and they know about that and that we're also trying to teach people techniques to be able to do that for themselves. Um, that, that's why I like group ritual and also solitary because you get the best of both worlds, I think. Yeah, I think that it's definitely different flavors being in a group ritual versus solitary versus even just like practicing um when I say group ritual, I, I can mean either working with a small group of people, it's more intimate, like a coven, or even like a big public gathering. Um, mm. Definitely, it's definitely different, all three of those. <laughs> totally. And a group that works together a lot will tend to synchronize their breathing patterns. So um, when they're chanting or intoning, so they create their own resonance along with the egregore or the group mind. I find that with our circles and covens, that when we write chants or magical poetry, that we use certain patterns of rhythm and form and we feel the rhythm as we know where the pattern is going next even if the words or the meaning changes because we've worked together for so long that we can as someone can write a new chant and we can instantly work out what the rhythm is because it's written in a rhythm that we might use a lot or we can synchronize our breath or not depending on need because we've worked together for so long um and also a lot of people that um i work with regularly um also we have a band together so we're used to playing music together as well and that really helps for being able to drop into a mode um, and just be able to, someone will come up with a chant ad lived in a ritual. Everyone will pick it up. They'll end up being harmonies. Um, we've had things where we've had uh, wind chimes hung on the wall of the, of the circle space and someone will run their hand along the wind chimes and someone else will pick a drum that's sitting in the corner or, um, and it just becomes this amazing kind of magical jam of instruments and voice and chanting but we've done that for ages, so um, we're able to do that. But it's a, a, maybe losing the fear of being able to chat. And some of the techniques that I've got um, that I wanted to go into is about being able to work out how something works for you and to lose the fear, to practice things, because it's a, it's a craft and we use tools of ourselves as well. So everything takes practice into using our tools and our bodies correctly and and what works for us in a magical setting i think yeah and that's why you you should not be an armchair witch because you do need to practice it is a craft as you say and it, it's something that you can't get better just from reading a book i mean you can learn more uh you know but doing it is, is a completely different ball game than actually reading about it 
Yeah, totally. And it's, I mean, my whole thing is experiential witchcraft and active participation. It's my bugbear of being able to, when I'm teaching workshops or anything, it's about people getting active in what it is that they're doing to their best of their abilities. So it's, um, you need the intellectual knowledge. You need to understand how to do something technically, but you also need to experience it. Um, If you're going to use your intuition, your intuition comes from a grounded knowledge in something it's not just this airy fairy thing oh my intuition tells me to do this no what it is that you're doing is taking all of the input the information that you have from previous reading or experience and then because you know what it is that you're doing you can then use your intuition to take the base of what you know and explore something beautifully that will work for you and that you can trust your intuition. Don't just trust your intuition about something if you have no basis for what it is that you're trying to intuit. If you've got a really strong basis, then you can um, use let your intuition go free and use it because you know that you're going to be safe, that you're secure, you understand what it is that you're doing. Um, and that's like anything. You can do the free work on top of it if you have a good strong base and that's the same with a lot of magical working and a lot of breath technique and stance technique and movement is um it's just like just because something feels right you've got to question that all the time now that questioning could take less than half a second to do because if you're experienced then you're like oh this is a good idea but you know you see lots of accidents and things like someone thought something was a good idea and went for it and it's like well that actually wasn't maybe take that little bit of time to think about what it is that you're doing so intuition is a great thing and works really well as a magical tool but you need a basis for it and um you know end slash rant on that but it's it's but it is very much something that um so learning how to breathe correctly you're learning how to stand correctly all of those kind of things are great because you can then move around a circle safely because you know how to get back into a position of safety um, and how to breathe well and that you're not going, you can, you can do some radical breathing techniques because you know how to get your breath back. You have a baseline to go to, which I think is a, a really good thing. You don't want people fainting in your circle. I certainly don't want people fainting in my circle. Yeah, no, I am. Um, I think we should try to avoid that. <laughs> especially when there's fire and you know charcoal and just it's just not a good idea yeah very much so it's like putting someone in a sealed room um doing their witchcraft by themselves you've got to be really careful because if something does go wrong and no one knows that you're doing that um it's like yes it's all well and good to be secret and some people have to be secret but make sure then that you've got an open window if something happens or you've got to that you haven't set up something so you can't get to the door in the darkness if the candles go out and you have to evacuate or something um we have, even as witches, we have to participate in risk management. Yep. Yeah. I, I always know where the fire or the smoke, de- or what's it called? The smoke fire extinguisher. Yep. Yeah. I always let people know where that is just in case. Yep. And I know it sounds like, oh, but that's not the, the woo-woo funny, um, like, you know, fabulous aesthetic stuff, but it is, I mean, as a ritual leader or something, you have responsibility for that. So you need to, um, to understand how to set up a space properly, how to make sure that people will have ventilation, that, Um, I mean, I've been in rituals where the whole point of it is to use different um, breathing techniques with lots of different incenses and everything to go into a trance. But they always have buckets of water and they always have people that are around the outside of the, say, the tent or something, watching people, making sure that their trance is safe, that that they can breathe, that they've got a way of opening a tent and everything in some kind of aeromancy rite or something. So um, 
it's about being safe and yes it means that those people can't experience that ritual but then often the people that have done that ritual many times and have now they're the ones that are uh, caretaking because we want people to be safe so um i suppose out of all of that you know branchy conversation about safety and everything how do we actually breathe magically because i keep going on about it but i haven't actually said it um so i thought i could give everyone one method but again, caveat, don't try this if you have breathing issues. I'm an asthmatic. This does work for me, but it's not going to work for everybody. And um, there are lots of singing and breathing exercises on YouTube and on various social media that you could watch. Um, I'm not a singing teacher or a vocal coach, so I'm showing what works for me. I mean, I did train in singing when I was in high school and everything, but um, this is what works for me as from my singing background and from my magical background um, that gets me in the right breathing mode for working magically. So first I empty all of the air from my lungs in a preparatory act, which is breathing out in a short, sharp and loud way, like a quick focused sigh, like a, <sighs> and then I take a deep breath in from my stomach using my diaphragm as it pushes up. And essentially I'm pulling my diaphragm in as I feel my lungs fill. So you can place your hands on your diaphragm if you wish, people that are listening, um, and you can um, feel that breath come in. And you hold the breath there um, and then you slowly release it in um, a silent, controlled manner over a period of time. And, of course, if you're getting dizzy, stop doing that. Like you, um, you, you need to practice it. You need to be able to expand your lungs. But it's not just making your lungs pop out. It's actually bringing the diaphragm, the muscle underneath, and kind of bringing it up and it's, everything's supported from there. Um, and it is kind of the opposite to some other breathing techniques where you're kind of making your lungs stick out and deflating them when you're um, when you're breathing out. You're basically kind of bringing. It's like you're raising them up rather you're rather than pushing them out. And just experiment with it. Don't you know breathe short sharp breaths all the time so you're kind of getting dizzy, but play with it. When I'm um, singing or intoning or I'm holding a note. The aim is to be able to hold a candle flame in front of your mouth and vocalise the note without the flame wavering. You aren't totally holding your breath, but you're smoothly and slowly letting out a tiny stream of air because all of this is about control. So we're bringing the air in, we're using our diaphragm, we're using our core to bring that energy in and that air in and we're filling it up and then just slowly we're going to let that air out now I'm not going to do that as um in a recording because you're just not going to hear anything and so that would be really boring but you can try that um think of the air that you're releasing as a magical arrow or a link you're drawing the energy up through your body and out through your breath and you are the bow or the conduit for the magic and you can try going up and down a scale of notes and you can find where your breath control and the resonance of your voice sits well and you can also try that against a drone if you're going to use a recorded drone or an actual mechanical one like an instrument. Um, and you can find um, what notes work well for you, what breath control works for you. So say if I was going up a, a scale of notes and I can hold my breath while I'm doing it, but I'm not, I'm not really holding my breath. I'm just letting a tiny bit out as I go. So that would be along with like, uh, 
And that was all one breath because I'm just letting a tiny bit out. And if you've got a lot of people that can do that in a circle, it's fabulous because you can keep this one continuous note going for ages because everyone's taking breaths at different times, but it's really subtle and it just becomes this amazing um, wall of sound that can work fabulously for ritual technique because you're using a lot of that to support the magic. But breathing also leads into stance because if you're just hunched over and you're or you're sitting cross-legged on the floor but kind of hunched or you're just leaning casually against the altar or you're, you're doing something, um, just leaning with your arm on your besom, um, you're not going to be able to get the breath that you need. So a lot of magical work is about the subtle shifting in stance, which which is the way that you're standing or moving. And it really makes a difference. It's it's a huge difference. So for those of you who aren't driving or on a commute or anything, if you want, you can stand up and you plant your feet upon the ground. And a lot of magical work involves planting your feet upon the ground solidly. If someone's going to take you through a guided meditation, if you're not lying down or sitting and you're doing a standing meditation because it has lots of visualization, then that is one of the things. Being able to stand strong and solidly is actually a really good technique to learn in magic, especially when you move on to things like transposition or something. You, you want to have that solid base to start with. So plant your feet upon the ground solidly and you can stand with your feet slightly apart, about hip width. If you have trouble finding your hip width, another, tra- another trick is to stand with your feet together and keeping your heels together one at a time, slide your toes out in a V shape and then slide your heels out to the same width as your toes so your feet are parallel once more and that will give you a hip width. And then you're centering your weight through your feet so that you aren't leaning back on your heels or standing on your toes. And you may be familiar with this technique from various exercise classes or martial arts and it really does work. And it's a great way of when you're starting to do magical work before you take a breath, before you do anything, is to get yourself into some kind of magical stance. So you're standing solidly with your feet at hip width and you draw your diaphragm up. So think of your core and abs and you stand tall and straight with your shoulders back and you poke your bum in and your chest out a bit and you adjust it all so you feel stable and comfortable but also powerful and grounded. And you can have your knees loosely bent, not locked straight. And then you can feel or bring the energy coming up from the ground and down from the sky. And if you're familiar with the Kabbalistic cross or the Hermetic Six Red Star, you could tap into that kind of energy. You really only need above and below, but securing yourself beforehand in that kind of pillar um, is really important. You can, I mean, you can also tap into energies before, behind, left and right um, if you wish. And the center is um, the center of your being in your solar plexus. And you're feeling strong and then you're tapping into different energy and you can bring all that energy in and then you can control that energy with how that you're how you're breathing and so magical stance can work really really well and i have mentioned like the solar plexus a lot and coincidentally it's about the region of your diaphragm which is where we activate our muscles for singing so not like technically but um and I'm not going into the technical things of singing and breath or anything. That's for people who are actually singing teachers and, and voice coaches. I'm just talking about what works for me in a practical sense, having done this for like 30 or 40 years kind of thing. So, and again, it might not work for everybody. 
This technique, even if you can't stand, so say you need to sit, you can also do that while sitting on the floor or in a chair. So you can sit comfortably and then sit straight so your diaphragm feels like it's being pulled upwards by a piece of string and you relax your shoulders back, chin straight and head high and it really changes the way that you have access to breath and it changes your connection to the ground and how you're relating to the world. And the movement whether you're standing or sitting, isn't supposed to be stiff. And it will be stiff when you first try, totally. That's that's perfectly understandable. But it takes practice to get into a singing, trance or magical stance. And they're really mostly the same. It's about opening up the body so that the breath and that the energy flows. And you don't want to compress or sink down into your hips. So you might need to do some hilarious, if subtle, pelvic tilts to find the right position. And eventually you'll find what works for you and you can get into the correct position quickly. And when you do it and you get into that correct position, it signals to your brain in established patterns that you're now ready for ritual or for singing or for Pilates, whatever, your body and your will. But this will give you a a great starting point. And also, look, if you have mobility issues or back issues, don't just start doing that technique because I've said so on a podcast. Work within your present capabilities as with all magical techniques because it's also, you know, perfectly fine to chant in your head, to lie on the floor, to float in a pool. You just adjust and understand the techniques you are trying to achieve and adapt accordingly because if you understand why you're doing something and how to do something, then you can adapt it for your own needs or the needs of the people that you're working with and that's really really important so I can get into a magical stance that works for me really quickly because I move that I've got that pattern programmed into me so if I move and stand and place my feet solidly upon the ground I instantly go into a mode where everything realigns and I'm ready to grace the bow to sing to to let energy through to bring energy into my body and channel it out because I've done it for a long time and it's a muscle memory And that muscle memory acts as a trigger to then get me into that magical stance. And as we've said before, it's a craft. So this takes time to learn. You're not going to get it straight away. I mean, if you've got a martial arts background or you've got um, like Pilates or yoga or something like that, then of course you probably will find it a lot easier. But there's no worry if you don't. It's, It's part of the practice. And you can watch people, if they get into the right stance, that their demeanor changes and that the way that they can access energy and that they can access um, movement and breath changes. And it, and so it is a good technique to learn. So hopefully, you know, if you listen back to this, you can have a go at, um, at standing in different ways and find one that works for you. Because of course, what I say is not, may not actually be, you know, great for you, but work on something, find something that is uniquely your magical stance that you use when you go into a ritual situation, um, whether you're by yourself with it or with a group and, um, and see how it works for you. Yeah. You know, I think, um, that whole phrase of like finding what works for you, I know it's said a lot, but I, I really can't stress it enough. I mean, little things like not even magical voice, but uh, just in all aspects of the craft, um, or anything you're doing that's contributing to it. So for example, for myself, um, I've had a couple of back surgeries and I find that when I used to think of meditation, I would think of somebody sitting on the ground, like with their back straight and a cross-legged position. And I found that if I would sit in that position, it was really distracting for me because after a while it'd be kind of painful and my legs would go numb. And I found, you know, 
this isn't working for me. I want to do meditation, but I'm getting too distracted by how my body is feeling during this. So I switched to laying flat. So my back's still straight, but I'm in a much more comfortable position. Maybe I'm laying on a bed or a mat or something like that. And, um, now I have no issues with meditation doing that. (laughs) And you know, that's not supposed to be how you do it. Yeah, if someone, yeah, if someone can't sit on the ground, I'll put a chair in circle for them or a stool. Um, if they need to stand during meditation, that's fine too. It's um, and, and it's not do what works for you in a way of free for all, just do the stuff that comes into your brain. It's about doing what works for Being you. Being accommodating. An and, but in, with an understanding of what the end goal is. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've done like large group gatherings where we will stick um, like right in the center of the circle um, chairs for the elders. And so they can sit there. um, They part of the ritual and we might have different things for them to do if they, if, or anyone that's got a movement issue. Um, So they can sit in the center of the circle on chairs and, or around say in in a ring or something. Um, So the ritual is going on around them, but they have different things that they can do in the ritual that don't involve getting up and dancing. So, um, but they're still part of it. So in a ritual we did a couple of years ago for the spring equinox, we, um, we had everybody in the circle had little dried bunches of flowers that had been dried from the autumn equinox and they were going to be tying them to a sun wheel. But we also had some fresh flowers. So the elders in the centre or those with mobility issues were all given fresh flowers and our magical couple, our king and queen of spring, were walking a spiral through the ritual and when they got to the elders in the centre, the elders each presented them with a bunch of these fresh flowers for the spring equinox and then the couple placed them as an offering in a big, like, vase that was in the center of the circle space like a a huge standing pedestal brass vase so that was the the center point of the circle and then once that was kind of that energy had been charged and released of this beautiful big bunch of flowers that had been made as an offering from all of the elders then the the little bunches of flowers people came forth and tied them to this big um, multi-level hoop that we had which was then danced. So the couple were standing in the centre next to this vase on either side with their arms around each other with the flowers in the centre and then this big hoop was lowered over them and all of the flowers, the dried flowers, were tied to this hoop and then cords were attached and it was a big cord dance that happened around the couple in the centre. So it was like lots of layers of ritual but it gave the people in the centre something to do. Um, they were using their energy that they'd built up over a long period of time their understanding of their magical workings to imbue the fresh flowers with that as part of an offering so um we use chant and dance as in that but we also used the placement of people to work for the best of their ability in that particular ritual space no it sounds pretty magical yeah 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 and it worked well with that um I we actually I think we might have used drones in that as well so I wanted to touch a bit about drones I know we talked a bit about those last week and I just gave a bit of an example of them but I wanted to explore them a bit more deeply because I find drones really fundamental to magic and I know a lot of people don't use them but you should because they're fun they're also my jam I love them Um, I use them I use singing drones and I use um, instrumental drones Um, I've there's a whole lot that you can find on YouTube and Spotify to play back to work with. Um, if you're someone who really likes to work with white noise, then you might find that a drone works really well for you too. So drones 
are basically a single and world a wordless held note and they can be vocalized or played on an instrument so a sun drone might be uh, and again using breath control um that drone note is just held throughout the ritual. So, um, and it might have another note on top of it, but it's just the one held sustained note that um, you might have several people singing and it's kind of grounding the ritual or the chant. It could also be um, played on an instrument. So again, this is the harmonium. That's actually two notes um, played together. And I'll, I'll, I will go into what two notes to choose um, shortly. Um, but when you um, are using a drone, singing it, humming it, um, you can usually tell easily if you're off key because you will find that there's um, a resonance that happens. So I did a bit of this last time, but I'll just do it again. Um, so you can have a central note, but then you can weave around it. And so this is what I mean about having that stable center of a ritual so if someone's using a drone you're sorry you're moving your magic around that drone you're moving your energy around that drone so if i had the one note some notes work better than others and you find what works with your resonance of um, the drone and your voice or what you're chanting and something inherently magical happens and you can feel it so it's why it works really well for a base for your magical workings and I'd really encourage everyone to try this so um, play, a, play a drone on YouTube there's heaps of them um, and work your way around a scale of notes and you'll find that there's you can you can definitely hear when you're slightly off but use that one note that's held to work your way to be able to hold that note because the goal is to be able to hold that note before you go exploring around the note try and hold it so you can start to get your ear in um i think everyone i mean yes there are people that call themselves tone deaf but i think you can actually get to a point where you you can at least hear the difference and you can hear that resonance um and that can work really, really well for you. If you are going to use a recorded drone um, and just look for held drones or drone loops on YouTube or a shruti drone, um, some of them have drums. Now, that's great, but the drum beat could be steady. And if you're going to use, say, one of those recordings as a background for your magical working, um, if you want something to speed up or slow down, then a drum loop on a drone is probably not going to work well. You might want one without drums and drum yourself um, unless you want this, that steady beat the whole time and that can work too. But just be aware that there will be some that have drums on them. And again, what works for you in that? Um, because when we're doing a lot of magic, we might be raising energy. We tend to get faster and sometimes higher in our voice and our chanting and we can get slower and lower when we're grounding energy out because you can go in both directions uh i know that you've previously mentioned on the 
the podcast, the Isis Astarte chant. So Isis Astarte, Diana, Hecate, Demita, Kali, Anana. And mm-hmm, that works mm-hmm. and that works really well with a drone. And you can sing it in harmony, usually the fifth note above, and I'll get into why in a second. But the chant comes from the chorus of a Charlie Murphy song called The Burning Times. And I'll just do that little chorus bit with the drone and you can hear what it sounds like. Isis is started, I am a Hecate to me to Kali and Anna. Isis is started, I am a Hecate to me to Kali and Anna. Isis is started, I am a Hecate to me to Kali and Anna. Isis is started, I am a Hecate to me to Kali. And that can work really well if you don't have access to a harmonium, of course, which not everyone does. Um, you could have people holding that note or you could do you can sing it against um, a drone note that you find on YouTube. A lot of the note, uh, the drone loops on YouTube will be in different keys. So listen to a whole lot of different ones. Find one that works for you for the range of your voice. My voice is really low or really high. I have no middle range. It's I'm a freak. So um, I tend to use ones that um, that work well for my resonance of my voice. Um, but for a lot of people, um, that's not going to work. So you find one that works for you that um, that is a good um, key. You don't you don't want to if you're doing a drone, you don't want to strain. You don't want it so it's outside of your range that it's too low for you or too high or it's uncomfortable. That's why you just play with the notes that work well and you'll find that you find these notes that speak to the core of your very soul. And I know it sounds kind of hippy dippy and weird, but it's true. So you will find that there are different notes that kind of gets you in the heart. They get you in the feels. And that's where you can start your magical voice singing from. You just work out how to hold that note, feel the breath and the energy and the resonance and the vibration of that sound within you. And then you can use that to build up energy through you and then use that as how you channel the energy. Um, and so it's a, yeah, very much find the notes that work for you. We also use what I call intoned drones, but are really just two different notes played or sung as a drone. So the drone that I was just playing is actually those two notes. It's not just one. Um, and it, But when you're singing it, you can have one person singing one note and one person singing the other, and it can support it ritually, and it's a very basic harmony, and it's a pair of notes. And... The intoned drone involves two notes being held simultaneously. You're creating a layered drone. There's no melody as such. Um, For those of a musical bent, we're usually working with an interval of one and five. You can find this anytime. You can find these two notes because they are the opening two notes of Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Twinkle, twinkle. That's five notes in between. Oh, not really technically, but it's a one and a five. So twinkle is the one twinkle is the five and if someone sings that first note and someone sings the second note they will always sound good together um always it's in the western magical in the western musical tradition um they will always sound great so i've done things where i've had a whole room full of people one half has sung the bottom note the other half has sung the top note and then 
we've had them clapping a particular rhythm, sometimes in counterpoint, and then we have sung an invocation or a chant over the top of that. And as with magical um, work where you're pulling that energy in and then you're channeling it back out, it can be really, really incredible. So it's having that those two notes of ah. And I can give people instantly those two notes because in my head it's the first two notes of Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Um, other intervals that you might know, and if you've got people that have um, got a wide range of voices, so some people are really low and some people are really high, you might want to give them the same note. And if you want to find that octave, that note, it's the opening to Somewhere Over the Rainbow. So it's somewhere. There, those two notes are an octave apart so you can always find where the starting point is for the people that have got the low voices and the starting point for the people that have got the high voices and then you can chuck the five in in between because that will always sound fabulous but those two notes go together no matter where you start and we utilize in our groups and covens and everything we utilize intoning and intone drones a lot and we usually work with voices, but we can achieve a similar effect using the harmonium or the shruti box to create drones. A shruti box is like an upright, um, it's a box with a little bellows on it and you can choose the notes on it and they come in all different um, keys and you can get them online um, or at um, Indian kind of um, subcontinent kind of music shops and things. And they are fabulous. And you can also use a bagpipe chanter or a shawm. Um, there's not a lot of, of Western music that has drones in it anymore, but a lot of old music does. And I find it fabulous for magical workings. Um, and practically in a ritual situation, we might have some people playing or singing the drone and then others are chanting and singing a song or declaiming. I do a lot of work around layering rituals um, and like so much so that whenever we talk about it, if someone's got a drink, then they have to take a sip. It's like a drinking game if we talk about layering rituals. But to do so, it gives everyone something to do. So you can have um, people singing a drone and um, in different notes and you can have people chanting, you can have other people dancing, and it all builds up to the whole of incredible, unique, magical experience. And even if you're by yourself, you can still do the same thing. You can record a drone, um, use a recorded drone you can download it and um, you can dance and chant to that and feel that energy kind of building up with you so with drones look for drone loops with or without drums on youtube or spotify and you can sing against them um, you can also look for shruti drones which is s-h-r-u-t-i and that's a recorded shruti box so it's not just an electronically generated drone it's it's actually using the wooden resonance of the instrument that is incredible um they're available in lots of different keys and you'll eventually find one that works for you uh, you can also find really long recordings like they're like hour-long recordings of drones have a go at playing one of those behind your ritual like i've done lots of rituals with music playing behind the ritual but try it with a drone and it can really do amazing things especially if you're doing a meditation um it just kind of gives you that anchor but also lifts you up at the same time so experiment it's great did you have anything you wanted to chat about on that ashley before we kind of talk about intoning no no that all sounds fantastic Excellent. Okay, so intoning. I, again, I touched a bit on that. Um, we use intoning a lot. Look, we just use a lot of music. We're just really loud. 
we're just a loud bunch of people. So we um we do do that and a lot of dancing and a lot of drumming. Um, and intoning is holding one note across several syllables most of the time. It can just be, you know, intoning. It's like before when I was just going up the scale of notes, that kind of is technically intoning as well. But what we're mostly using it for is held notes with a word. So you're um, holding that note and you're putting the syllables of that word across the same note for a while. Kind of like if you listen to plain chant or Gregorian chant, a bit like that. So we are, um, it, it can work really well for groups and it can also work well for solitary um, practitioners. Basically, you're bringing the energy up through your body again, as I was talking about with drones and breathing, and you're bringing it up. And if you've got a good breath te- technique, then you can hold that note for a while. You don't want to pass out holding the note too long, but just bring that energy up through and again, practice with that. You can do intoning quietly or at really, really loud volume. But the point of it is to do it with power and energy and focus. So really it's about the resonance, the um, the visualization, the intent, and the channeling of energy. We also naturally use different notes depending on what or whom we're calling. And last time I did, I think I did Peralda, I called Peralda the king of the elements. So for each of them, we might just naturally end up using a different note. And my group um may just find that place it's just one of those things that we've we've kind of developed over time unconsciously so it might be that we're intoning the name of the king so it could be for peralda we could be using for gin it might be Nixa, it could be Nixa. And then for Gab or Gob, it could be Gab. They all have different notes and they all have a different feeling as you're saying them and a different resonance within. So um, when we're doing that, we're in effect opening gateways to elemental realms as we call to those kings of the elements and our intoning resonates as a way of opening those gates along with certain sigils and gestures and visualizations. And even if we have a large group of witches all intoning at once, it doesn't need to be loud. Mostly we have one person intoning and everyone else is supporting them energetically. If we're naming someone into our circle, so we often do a naming ritual in our um, our grove, our uh, non-initiate circle and someone will come up with a name that they want to be known as in circle and we will intone their new magical name around them with the group intoning it in a circle and the newly named witch is in the center and they're infused with their new name by the power of the magical voices of their peers who are welcoming them in so my open magical name is blaze so um i might in when i was named into um into Eldergrove, i think um many many years ago they all stood in a circle and they intoned my name. So it would be um, everyone saying, 
be that everyone's intoning that maybe with some harmonies but other people might be chanting blaze 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 and what happens is that you you're imbued with the very core of your being is imbued with that magical name and you're taking it in and then you might say it at the end and you're giving that gift back to them and it's a really powerful way of doing that so that's a practical use for intoning and you can also just sing or intone around the melody of an instrumental piece of music so there might be a really nice piece of music um Lorena McKinnett's Huron Beltane Finance is great for that it's got a lot of um humming and intoning around it and wordless chanting so you can sing around that tune really easily and create more power more resonance um also uh Omnia's Shamaniac there's a really great um, piece of music with lots of drums and kind of madness that you can sing notes around against the melody. I suppose it's not even really a melody in that tune. Um, You can sing your own melody around it and chant against it. And it's incredibly powerful. And it's all about the layering and the energy that you're sending out and bringing back in. And it's a really easy thing to do by yourself. So Find a piece of music that you can sing against and chant against and use that in your ritual. It could be with a group or it could be with um, by yourself listening to a recording because we have the technology. We can do that. Um, also, I really like uh, Volgamut, W-O-L-G-E-M-U-T. They have some incredible um ancient music that works really well for ritual they have lots of recordings so use those not like even if you're watching them on youtube their youtube clips are performances at ren fairs a lot and so there's a lot of noise and there's people and it doesn't really work but their actual proper recordings are brilliant for that kind of thing and i've used them in so many rituals i've got so many chants that are against music that they've done um earlier on i mentioned a howl and which is kind of taking and toning to the next level um, a howl is a method of energy raising and focused use of magical voice, and it's used in um, it's in used in lots by lots of people. We use it in a local full moon ritual, um, where everyone stands in a circle, usually with their arms around the waists of the next person, and several layers of people deep in a giant hug or a scrum. And as I said before, we're not really doing this during the pandemic. Um, and the leader, because you need a leader, just someone for some people to follow. It doesn't have to be the leader of the ritual. It's normally the person with the strongest voice. The leader starts a low note, either humming or singing the starting note, and everyone joins in. And slowly the leader moves to intoning the next note and the energy builds, and the participants are free to take breaths at any time. And we're creating a circular wall of rising focused sound, which is usually being channeled to someone or a group of people in the center if they need healing, for example, Um, or if it's the first time coming to that ritual, they'll go into the center and just feel the energy of everybody safely. Um, And as the intoning goes up the scale, it ends, um, it gets louder until the leader gets high enough that the notes morph into a vocalized wolf style howl and the energy is released and this can also be done solitarily as well now normally i'll give an example but normally this takes time like you're holding each note before you move to the next one for quite a long time and part of the skill of leading that kind of thing is being able to work out when to go to the next note when the energy is building but i'm not going to sit here for 15 minutes and 
howl at you because that would be really boring. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to um, to uh, just to give you an example. So it could be, um, and I probably should take a sip of something before I do this. Okay, so. Kind of thing. I didn't do it really loudly, but you can understand the concept. <laughs> yep definitely um, and it works really well at a full moon ritual it's kind of fun and it's a good way of um introducing people to the energies of vocal work and intoning and it's got a really palpable feel to it and the newcomers are feeling the energy and they're finding their voices and more experienced witches are channeling and focusing and spiraling the energies to those in the center of the circle and it's tapping into the energy that's being raised as well as the energy being drawn from the ground and down from the moon so that's a bit about um intoning and some of the practical ways of using it and i really like i really especially love like when we're naming someone or something like that it works beautifully for um for giving a magical quality to something um you can, i suppose you could use it for like if you're naming a magical sword or something you can intone at your sword <laughs> chatting excalibur or something <laughs> That'd be kind of fun to do. Yep. <laughs> Not that I'm advocating for everyone to name their magical tools. It's fine. Um, but it is a cliche and, you know, may as well use those techniques for it if you can. Yeah. So let me ask you, um, can we talk a bit about chanting and spells? We can indeed because um, chanting is a really powerful and simple tool for working with spells. Um, and that's what, you know, if you instantly think of witches chanting, you're thinking of spells. You're thinking of the witches in Macbeth um, doing double, double, toil and trouble, fire, burn and cauldron, bubble, or the musical version of it in Harry Potter. Um, chanting around a cauldron, it's something that we do. It's stereotypical for a reason because we do actually do it. I have spent so much of my life chanting around a cauldron, making magical brews and, um, and chanting. And I've written chants for, literally I have written chants for chanting around a cauldron. And stirring things because I do that. And it's highly embarrassing and very, very um, cliched. But, you know, that's <laughs> what we do. I'm a witch. I chant around a cauldron, stirring it and and making up chants. So, Tell me you're a witch without telling me you're a witch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> it works, right? Um, so we stir and we chant and we tell the magical brew what it's being made for and we empower it and we give it life and a purpose and it lives apart from our will. The magic is released when it's drunk or sprinkled or libated. So that is what we're doing when we're using a chant in a spell. So with the classic example of chanting around a cauldron. So I can give you a couple of examples. Um, this is a healing chant. I think it actually comes from an Anglo-Saxon chant to heal horse's broken leg. But over time, it's morphed into this particular version, and we use it for healing a lot. You'll find it published in um, quite a few books as well. But when you're dealing with chants, it is, and spell chants especially, it's about the rhythm. It's about how it moves across the tongue. It's about how you can move your body with it and bring the energy up through. And so you'll find that chants have very specific rhythms. Now, they may not be the same rhythm for everybody because depending on your accent, where you are, um, what your musical landscape is, 
you may put different emphasis on different words and that's perfectly fine. So you find what it is that works for you. Now, the way that my um, magical family in, sorry, in England might chant this is very different to the way that the Aussies chant it. Again, might be different um, to ways that the Americans chant it or someone whose language is, um, is the first language is in English. So you might find a more musical version of chanting it, but this is a, a spoken healing chant, which is, this is the flesh that we intone, flesh to flesh and bone to bone, sinew to sinew and vein to vein, each one to its own again. This is the spell that we intone, flesh to flesh and bone to bone, sinew to sinew and vein to vein, each one to its own again. And you can keep chanting that and layering it up and it works really, really well. Um, and that is, this is the spell that we intone, flesh to flesh and bone to bone, sinew to sinew and vein to vein, each one to its own again. So it's literally stating the purpose of what it is that you're doing. Um, I mentioned that I did the 25th anniversary of this, of the full moons, uh, local full moon, and um, we use this chord spinning chant for that. It's an old chord spinning chant. It's been used by lots and lots of people. I've made thousands of chords, uh, magical chords, um, using this chant. Um, and it, I spun a chord for the 25th anniversary because it's a silver anniversary and it was full moon. So I thought, ah, let's do little moon charms. So I had little moon coins that, um, and we could do 25 of those and there's 25 different permutations of the elements like if you did earth of earth earth of water earth of fire um spirit of water spirit of fire all of those they add up to 25 so i figured that it'd be really good for each of those charms to represent a an element combination just as the people who are attending the ritual and have been coming for 25 years are a combination of all different um ways of making magic they're all um they all have their own way of doing things um it's about celebrating the diversity so we're looking at all the different combinations of people and elements for each of these silver coins but i wanted to magically layer everything up so we had a moon we had a a, a magical well and this is not just the cliche thing of moon water of you know water in the moon this is actually building up um a proper magical well so we had we poured ceremoniously poured water into a big silver bowl and as priestesses or witches were reflecting the moonlight with mirrors into that water we um, placed a candle a floating candle into that bowl and we lit that so they're bringing the energy of the moon down through the flame and down into the water and then we poured tiny little crystal shards into the water of clear crystal and then we um, we rang a bell around um, the the well for air, and then we poured gin ceremoniously into it for spirit, and we built that up. And then, as we were chanting over that, and then it became its own entity of this. Uh, we did a, a full drawing down on into that bowl of water, and then each person. Um, then there was a magical dedication that happens with that and the witches with the mirrors then went around the circle and showed each person their reflection that had been the reflection that had been pulled down from the moon then they saw their own reflection as part of the magical beings that were there as part of the witches that had been helping with the drawing down of the moon and then we poured into that bowl all of these magical coins that were um that were being blessed and taking up all of the energy of that um of the magic that we've just been doing and then because we often use 
cords at that ritual every time. We've got a set of nine white and silver cords that are used for cord dancing or um, for um, wrapping things, if you're making talismans or something. Um, we wanted to add a new one to that. And so we spun a silver cord out of um, uh, embroidery thread. So it's actually spinning a cord fully from scratch. It's not using the bought stuff. So we had a whole lot of skeins of silver thread and each person came and picked a uh, a token from the well and they tied that into one of the strings that were being spun into the cord. And so we ended up with this beautiful cord that has all of these little silver tokens through it that's imbued with the magic of all of the people there, also all of the history from previous 25 years and all of the, the present and into the future. So we use this cord spinning chant, which is a long way of getting to the cord spinning chant, which is made to measure, wrought to mind, blessed be this cord entwined. And again, as you're spinning, you're as you're spinning the cord itself, and you've got two people facing in different directions, and they're spinning away from each other. And there's a whole technique of it's like making rope, basically. But you're doing the chant of made to measure, wrought to bind, blessed be this cord entwined. Made to measure, wrought to bind, blessed be this cord entwined. And as people are chanting it, it'll find its own rhythm. And it goes, and the way that you're doing it when you're spinning and someone's running up and down the cord, making sure that the tension's right, it just brings this um, amazing energy as people are using their breath and their magical voices and the kinetic energy of spinning something and everyone else is dancing around that it's a really good way of making chords. We use this chat when we're making magical chords for any purpose, um, our working chords, chords that we're using for talismans, chords that we're using to um, to wear on a, on a, um, a over a tabard or something in a, some kind of ritual. Um, so that's a chord spinning chant. Uh, this is, um, both of those are not ones that I wrote, they're old chants. This is one that I wrote, which is called an earth song, and it can be a spell or part of a ritual. And the words, the spoken version is, hearken to the song of stone, born of breath and naked bone, hearken to the song of seed, rhythm of the earth and tree. And the, the musical version of it, which so you can use it sung or um, chanted, and it's used for walking or for circle dancing or when you're sitting down with your hands upon the earth and you can be drumming slowly upon the ground. So it goes, um, Hearken to the song of stone, born of breath and naked bone. Hearken to the song of seed, rhythm of the earth and tree. Hearken to the song of stone, born of breath and naked bone. Hearken to the song of seed, rhythm of the earth and tree. And you can have two different groups chanting it. So one is holding it underneath um, whilst the other group is singing the next bit of the chant. So it's always it's almost creating a drone underneath. And a lot of these chants you can use as rounds as well. And um, so that can be really powerful as well, especially if you're doing magic for weaving. So using a round kind of chant, um, a canon, is really good for, um, for working with um, magical spell work if you're doing magic that is weaving things together because that's what it does when you're doing a round. They think of like, and I'm not saying sing Freya Jaka or Row, Row, Row Your Boat, but that's the kind of thing, that, that round that you could use. And a couple of more different types of chants. Um, so the one that I just did, the Earth Song, was has spoken version and a sung version. But you can use a well-known tune as part of your 
chant. I did kind of touch a bit on that last time when we looked at um, the Okanash and Thorn song. This one, um, the chant that I'm going to use is it's a light invocation. It's an invocational poetry used sometimes to call an entity or a deity. And this piece was written for a large group rituals performed by lots of people at once. And it's using a fairly well-known tune, which is easy to learn, which is called None Such. This is a spring invocation to the goddess. And it's for a large group ritual where um, all of the priests or um, male aspecting um, witches there were chanting this particular chant to call the goddess whilst all of the um, the rest of the people in the circle were kind of stamping their feet and bringing the energy down. And so the words are kind of a mishmash of a whole lot of different invocations that are put together as one to make it easy for people to learn. And we sent this ritual out. We recorded it on YouTube. We sent it out to people for months before the event so people could learn it. So it was a really strong chant um, being sung during this ritual and the words are by greenwood paths and scented leaves by bud of leaf and flower we call to she who weaves the world within her verdant bower we call to she who leaps and spins by flame and wind and water from root to branch and earth to sky by willow birch and alder and when we sing it singing it to the song the tune of nonsuch you've got people can then weave in harmonies there's people singing really low and really high you've got lots of people drumming and dancing and moving and it becomes this group chant and song of calling to the gods so it goes by green wood paths and scented leaves by bud of leaf and flower we call to she who weaves the world within her verdant bower we call to she who leaps and spins by flame and wind and water from root to branch and earth to sky by willow birch and alder so you can sing that over and over again and i'd use the tune none such because many years before at the same event i'd actually run a workshop on um, technology and music and how to use technology and music well in a ritual and part of it was picking a tune and getting a whole lot of different versions of that tune so you could use a sung version of it you could use a, a recorded version of it you could use an instrumental that if, of different styles and a dance music version or something but um, that you reference it throughout the ritual. So you make basically a mixtape or a playlist um, of the same tune that has different versions and speaks to different parts of the ritual. So it's the same tune, but you can have the wild, um, intense version of Volgamut and you can have a nice little flute version of it. And so that kind of brings that, each time you hear that phrase of the music, it brings you back to tap into particular aspects of the ritual because it's all when you're writing rituals it's all about the willful manipulation of people in a ritual situation for the good of the ritual not to take away their their um rights or anything it's it's basically getting everyone to work together and to give them keys and triggers to work with um the magical energies of the ritual and so we can use tunes and magic and um chants to to make those triggers and you can also, um, so that was an example of an invocational chant. We also have um, one that we use for opening a gateway at Sion, which is, um, there's a well-known 
charge called the necromantic charge. It's got many different names. It's used in rites of the dumb supper across lots of different traditions. Um, it's been used in film and television as well. And I just couldn't track down the examples that I wanted. It has very specific ways of saying it. Um, I have changed that because I found a perfect piece of music that worked really well with this chant. So um, I kind of played with the way that the rhythm works because we wanted to use it in a very particular way. So um, we um, used it so we had people um, listening to a particular piece of music and then they were all chanting this particular um, chant or singing it against this piece of music, which was called um, Brawler de la Torche. And then we had other people who were chanting a very specific invocation that was used traditionally to open a gateway. So we had three different things going on at once. We also had people drumming and, and there were some people dancing. So because when we bring the beloved dead in through the gateway, they it then morphs into a ghost waltz. So there's another piece of music that's played where once your beloved dead comes through, you then dance with them um, around the circle space. So we went from the necromantic charge and the um, the invocation to bring through the dead and then we went into a dance. So people were dancing with their beloved dead and it's a really, really beautiful thing. So the necromantic charge, um, the musical version of it went, Ale fortissihon fortissiho alinson roa. Ale fortissihon fortissiho alinson roa. Ale fortissihon fortissiho alinson roa. The three different variations of tune that I did all work together. So you have some people singing um, one part and then someone else will go wildly off singing the same words and then someone else will sing the next bit because it all goes with the piece of music that's happening. And it, you just kind of work around it and you get this incredible feeling of sound. It's just really amazing with that. Um, using recorded music and you're chanting against the recorded music like I've been talking about is really good to use if you can't make a lot of witchy, witchy noises. So you can simply find a piece of music that you can chant to but you can chant softly and with intent whilst that innocent piece of music plays, especially if it's an instrumental piece um, from a, a movie soundtrack or a classical piece. There's some really amazing pieces of music out there that work really well. So you can chant silently um, or softly in your head listening to this mainstream maybe piece of music, but you're actually doing like some really kick-ass magic at the same time. I'm going to need to remember the necromatic charge when it comes to Samhain here next or later on this year. I've got it, I've got it recorded um, with um a like a midi version of music because you can't put like other people's music on youtube um but i also have a full version of it as well and i can send it to you but i'm happy to put the link to the um to that one on um the which is seeking witchcraft group i've got a whole lot of links for some of this stuff so i'm happy to oh that'd be that awesome there. yeah because um we've got a gathering coming well eventually because we had to cancel it twice because of the pandemic the um which is called the apple and the pomegranate and it's a weekend sewing ritual gathering where everyone is kind of participating in different ways so we have sent out music to people that want to do music and chants to people that want to do chants we've got a sigil that people embroidered um, and we'll be embroidering that into the tablecloth for the magical dumb supper feast um, and there's music that people are dancing to and chanting with um, and all of those are workshops on using chants and music and movement and we've written a dance for it 
so it's all built up um across this um this ritual for the weekend but we also have magical food where we're doing it was like sharing platters that um people would be doing a workshop on magical food and creating some of the the food for the sharing platters which would be served in like boxes on the table that's got all the embroidered sigils on it as part of the dumb supper and so it was a build-up of magical energies Um, we ended up doing like an online version of some of the workshops we couldn't do the actual um event because i'm in australia so our our sabbath times um months are opposite so it was literally going to be i think it was like two weeks after the after lockdown so we of course had to cancel it but um we will do it eventually and i've got all the stuff prepared so i've got youtube clips of the music and i've got um pdfs of all of the sheet music for people that want that and i've got lots of different chants for people to learn we've got music set for the ghost waltz um we did a version of a, a small version of the ritual on a on a mound near me that's like a big spiral mound outside so we could do that um last year but we will eventually get to do this gathering and it's very much about bringing everyone's skills in and getting them to learn something and to practically put it into a ritual setting um that builds up their own um being in touch with their ancestors and their teachers and to bring bring them through as part of a um a layered sewing rite and ritual um yeah so that was yeah a fun one and i will send i've got all of those clips so i can um put them up for people if they're if they're interested in that oh yeah no, that would be that'd be great excellent um well we've kind of talked about um chants and voice and everything and i keep talking about dancing and movement whilst um chanting because they do go hand in hand i mean Yes, you want to get into a magical stance when you are chanting, but you want to get into that stance so you're bringing the energy through. But that doesn't mean you can't then move and dance and everything. You're not standing like a robot or a statue in the the whole thing. It depends on the type of ritual that you're doing. So you could actually use movement and your voice in your rituals. So combining chanting and movement and gestures, it can make you feel less silly because I know if you're sitting in your room and you're chanting to yourself, you can just feel like a right wally. I mean, it's just, it's great and it, and it can feel really witchy, but can you can also feel just really stupid because you're like, I'm sitting here chanting to myself. Um, and you don't want people to feel like that. So find a technique that works for you. That um, So maybe incorporating some movement into what it is that you're doing as a kind of moving dance meditation and chant can make you um, more in tune with what it is that you're trying to do. So um, especially when you're working alone, I use movement and chant a lot when working with groups because it lets people work to their different abilities. So I've got an example. I know we've um, passed the spring equinox now, but um, this is an example of a spring equinox um, uh, movement and um, ritual basically. And the reason that there's a lot of stuff for the spring equinox is because the Australian Wiccan conference that I do a lot of writing for and everything is a spring equinox gathering and it's been going for 35 years or something. So um, I've just got a lot of spring equinox stuff. Um, So this is a ritual um, of movement that incorporates centering, evoking elements at the quarters, calling upon deities and balancing oneself. And it was written for the spring equinox. And this ritual snippet can be performed silently, just spoken, it can be performed with movement, with movement and spoken words. It can also be sung and danced because it was written for during a lockdown. So we um, we did it and recorded it on videos and put out audio tracks as well and 
also um, just the ritual scripts. And we got people to like make um, spring dollies and um, dye eggs for it. We put up all the instructions and this ritual, we ended up doing an online conference and then everyone broke to go and do this ritual by themselves. Um, and we'd given them all the chants and everything early so they could all learn them. And everyone did this across Australia at the same time. And it was so they could do it to their own ability. So some people were more comfortable just doing the movement. Other people were happy to just say it. Other people wanted to do both. But because we had it recorded as well, people could listen to it or watch it and do the movements themselves at the same time um, or just feel it and get in and just tap into the energies of being with, with a lot of people. So we tried to do it so for whatever people's engagement was it was with it they could do it in a way that worked for them so this is a the actual kind of spoken bit is within and without above and below before and behind the ebb and the flow by air and by fire by water and by earth by sun and by moon by death and rebirth the light and the dark balanced shall be till the maiden is crowned by the god of the trees it has a very specific rhythm. Now, there are movements that go with this. So feel free, again, if you're not driving or anything, to um, to try and do this. I will, I can, again, um, put up the link for the video if you want. The video is Southern Hemisphere-based, so we turn in a different direction. So we're turning over our left shoulder, I think, in this because we do everything counterclockwise. But if um, the version I'm going to read out is set for the Northern Hemisphere because I rewrote it for that and everyone I think is turning over the right shoulder because you're going clockwise. Anyhow, it's in there. So standing up in your magical stance, so you've got your feet across um, on the ground and you're feeling very solid within yourself. Um, and you say within and without and you cross your arms over your chest then your arms are outstretched forward at your sides in a welcoming gesture and then you say above and below and your right hand points up above your head you're tapping into the energies and you're bringing your hands down with the energies so your hand is then facing the ground and then before and behind and you touch your palm to palm in the front of your body then separate and you touch your hands again behind your body moving in a horizontal arc the ebb and the flow so you're bringing your hands to your sides once more the left hand goes horizontal to your side and then the right hand is horizontal to your side by air still facing to the east you bring your hands up to your mouth and then straight out in front in a movement evoking a breath being blown and by fire, so you turn to face the south over your right shoulder and you bring your hands up towards each other and above your head in a Venus kind of gesture. So if you've ever seen like the Bananarama Venus clip, that kind of curving um, fire flame um, is what you're doing. By water, so you turn to face the west over your right shoulder and bring your hands to your mouth and then outwards in a movement evoking a dive into water. Then you turn to face the north um, and say, and by earth and over your right shoulder and you bring your hands from the solar plexus above your head in a movement evoking a branching tree shape so you've turned for each of these you're turning over your right shoulder so you're bringing your hands from your solar plexus to your head like you, you're kind of making a branching tree shape above your head then by sun and by this stage you're turning as you turn over your right shoulder you're facing the east once more and you put your hands in a circle facing vertically above your head as a sun and then by moon, 
and you move your hands down to your third eye and then you move them across each other. So you're holding two crescents facing outwards. By death and rebirth, you bend your arms at 90 degrees, hands in line with your shoulder, and then you turn in a complete rotation over your right shoulder. The light and the dark, you make an upright triangle at your third eye, and then you twist your hands so that your opposite palms cover your eyes. Balanced shall be, arms out horizontally at the sides, evoking a scale. Till the maiden, arms up above your head in a crescent, is crowned by the god of the trees. So you throw the horns while you've got your hands above your head. Then lower your hands and bow and breathe. So it is, I mean, there's a lot there, but if you practice it, you can get it into this amazingly smooth movement. And there's also a, a version of this that can be sung as well, which is... Um, Within and without, above and below, before and behind, the ebb and the flow, by air and by fire, by water and by earth, by sun and by moon, by death and rebirth. The light and the dark, balanced shall be till the maiden is crowned by the god of the trees so you can do that as basically a movement ritual movement of dance and gesture and song and it centers yourself and you are basically calling the gods and you are calling the elements and you're balancing things within you and you're making a statement of purpose of what that particular ritual is about and for and you're tapping into the energies of the gods and so try experiment with gestures and movement and song and chanting because it can work really really well yeah while you were going through that i was like making the motions of my chair yeah <laughs> totally what you were saying i was like oh what does this look like yeah i had to workshop um this particular one when i wrote it i had to workshop it with my flatmate doing all the gestures because i'd actually had a broken shoulder at the time so i couldn't actually put my arm above my head or anything so it was really funny it was just like adjusting her like a mannequin so she's so we're trying to get the energy to work but i couldn't actually physically do it so it was quite funny. Um, I do have one kind of little one I wanted to talk about at the end. So chanting, again, like two chants happening at the same time. Um, now, this may not work on, you know, recording because sometimes you can't have two things happening at the same time. And But um, there's this is a circle cast kind of. the Where I was talking about um, the Sawain ritual, we had um, for the circle cast of that, we had people walking around the circle. Um, we normally do this so everyone is walking backwards with their hands on like their inside hand on the shoulder of the person in front of them and in their other hand they're holding a jack-o'-lantern and they walk backwards around the circle um, slowly and it puts them into a chant, uh, into a, a trance and they're chanting. And it really sends you into the other world. It's like, it's quite intense. So we had people walking backwards, holding a jack-o'-lantern in the pitch darkness that's, that's lit. So you've just got the pinpoints of the eyes. And they are singing this. And then underneath that, someone comes in who's standing in the centre and just softly chants the Black Spirits and White circle cast. So I'll sing the thing. And actually, if you want to chime in and do the Black Spirits and White, go for it. Um, if not, people can just um, imagine the, the chant of it. But the... The song goes, 
Thy stone of stone and bone of bone, seeds and blood and souls are sown. Thy stone of stone and bone of bone, seeds and blood and souls are sown. Thy stone Black of stone spirits. and bone oh, of shoot. bone. Oh, shoot. I messed it up. Oh, I totally messed it up. <laughs> souls are sown. It's, it, that's the whole thing. It's practice. But that's fine. It's like, um, so you would go like black spirits and white red spirits and gray come ye come ye come ye that may throughout and about around and around the circle be drawn the circle be bound so it's fine that you mess it up because the whole point is it's about practicing because you need to find the right rhythm for what it is that you're doing and so we would practice this i'm not going to send someone in cold to say i'll chant this circle cast against this chant it's um You've got to find the rhythm. So you can see that I like I just I adjusted, like I started off too fast for that because I was singing it, forgetting that someone's got to chant against it. So I adjusted subtly the speed and the emphasis of that. Um, because you do that. So and as you start working with people a lot, you'll find what the rhythm is and you can sync up that rhythm. And so it's really powerful. And also when you're practicing at home, that means you can do the same thing. And I think I mentioned before, uh, work with those energies and work with learning how to chant that works for you so if you go to a public ritual or you go to work with a group um you can um already know how to chant you may need to learn the chant you may need to learn the new rhythm and all of that but at least you're confident enough in being able to chant that and that little stone of stone and bone of bone was actually a chant that was written by Rhiannon a friend of mine many many years ago probably about 20 years ago and um, over time we turned it into a song as well to use a musical version because it works very well Um, I mean it sounds really deep and dark by stone of stone and bone of bone seeds and blood and souls are sown but it really is so ain't and it works really well Um, so that's kind of probably the last I've got of this um rant on chance uh this was fantastic um you know i also want to point out too with the chant yeah i totally messed it up but (laughs) it actually it it actually uh goes off to the point we were talking about earlier where when you work with a group of people after a long period of time you kind of build that rapport not rapport but like you build up that rhythm with each other and you know because you and i have never been in a circle of like that yeah, it, it's it's hard and it's one of those things where you have to get to know the people that you're circling with totally. and um, feel out the energies. and the, It's really hard to do this when we're in different parts of the world over, and you can't over a video chat. Yep. Yeah, because even on video, um, I mean, video chat, of course, doesn't work for this because you can't chat mm-hmm. at the same time. It just drops out. So if I'm doing video chat and uh, like Zoom and teaching people that I will get them to mute themselves because otherwise it just cancels everyone out so that they can chant along to themselves. But um, if you try and chant with everybody at the same time, Zoom will just cut the, the audio. Yep. And so um, you think that everyone can hear you, but they can't. And Zoom doesn't like continuous noises. So I, we were doing a workshop once and someone was trying to use the system and the system would just like, he would play one note and then disappear. Um, yeah, so, yeah. yeah, you've got to be aware. Not only do you have to be aware of your magical hygiene and your magical space, you have to be, <laughs> you have to understand your magical technology and that Zoom hates continuous notes. Not only that, I think there's an option on Zoom or T- there's an option on one of these as I've seen it. Oh, you know what? It's Discord. I know Discord yeah. has this where you can go into the settings. Like if you own the, um, 
the page, for example, and you can make it so in different chats and recordings and such that you are the voice that overpowers everybody else. If anybody yep. else starts talking over you, that it just won't go. Yep. Uh, got a yep. lot of technology, you know? There is, totally. <laughs> but we can incorporate that. Like, go for it. Um, as I said, like, I think it was like in 2012, I did a workshop on um, on physically how to download music from YouTube. <laughs> at the time like what software to use and how to actually oh, gosh. create and how to create I mean it was so long ago and the tech because we didn't have streaming like as such really it was more um on how to prepare like like if you were going to um make a cd or something to put in circle um my technique is to I've got I generate tracks of silence so even if you're on a playlist that you create you have a track of silence. You can generate one in Audacity, which is a free piece of software. Um, you put a track of silence in between each track that you're going to use. It gives you time to get to the device to turn it off or to put it on pause. So you don't, if you've got back-to-back pieces of music that you don't want to play back-to-back, you can actually um, put a, a silence in between so you can get to the point of um, turning it off. Because uh, whilst I have danced around a circle with a Bluetooth speaker attached to my belt, um, it is kind of that was because I was walking through um uh chalice well doing a ritual and um I had like a little speaker attached to my belt that we were using to do a procession but most of the time it would whatever the playback device is would be somewhere sorry um somewhere out in the circle somewhere um and it may not necessarily be next to you and if you try and use a remote most of the time it's not going to work because it's magic and electronics don't go that well with it so um and it's also things like um, streaming is great, but you're better off kind of downloading the music first so you don't, you can put your phone, if you're playing it on your phone, if you can put it on um, air, um, airplane mode because you don't want someone ringing you or something in the middle of the circle. So if you've turned off Wi-Fi and you've turned off um, any calls coming through, um, if you've got the music or whatever it is natively on your device, then you can make sure that nothing's going to interrupt it. Because the last thing you want to do is halfway through a ritual and you're streaming music that your Wi-Fi goes down and you lose it. So being prepared, basically. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, oh, my gosh, Gabby, thank you so much for coming back and talking about all of this uh, for part one and part two. I mean, this is such valuable information. And I wish I was lucky enough to be in Australia and be able to be in a circle with you because I can only imagine how much fun that must be and how lively it is. And these are all things that I hope that I can or I will incorporate into my own practice over time. Uh, but, you know, as you say, there there is definitely a feel for making yourself comfortable in this and yeah. finding that spot where you kind of break through that. And I know that the answer to doing that is through practice. So I'm going to have to talk to the people in my coven and see how they feel about singing <laughs> in circle. <laughs> for some people, it's not the right thing. And that's totally fine. Um, but, I mean, the reason I, like, we'd been chatting about doing this was because it's stuff that doesn't get talked about so people just assume that someone knows how to chant or how to stand or how to breathe or anything but most people don't um so unless you've got a performance background it's it can be really daunting going into a public ritual or doing something by yourself and it's like you can feel around and kind of get it to work but if uh, the if people know that there are actual techniques out there that they can find that can work for them and that yes you may not get it right all the time You've got to stumble. You've got to practice. I spend so much of my life wandering around my kitchen, learning chants or taping up rituals and learning scripts and doing all of that kind of stuff. Um, And I mentioned that before, but that's because that's what you do. 
It's not that you're going to get it right each time and first time. You have to learn this stuff. You have to get the mouthfeel of a chant. You have to work out how it works for you in the ritual context and then work with the people that you are going to be circling with if, if that's how you're working um, and, and create something that works for everybody. And that's when the magic happens. That's when it's that in that experience that people talk about of being other and your it's everything lives apart from your will and everything is in sync and that happens but it takes a lot of work it's not oh i'm all we're all witches we can all work together no you can't not everyone's going to be able to work with each other so you find common ground and you work with um uh, with what you what tools you have and then and it might be that you're all for singing but no one else in the coven or the group wants to sing and that's fine but it might be that they delegate you to do any of the songs that are needful in the ritual um and it might be that you know sneakily you do write circle cast the musical for them and make them perform it but you've got to check out how their reaction is for that yeah so gabby do you have one piece of advice that you would give a total beginner aside from all of the very valuable information that you shared on this episode because you have shared a lot of information but one piece of advice for somebody totally new who's maybe never even cast a circle before practice um take that first step maybe try and understand what it is that you're trying to do so if you don't understand if you want to cast a circle but you don't understand what a circle is then read up about it and then see if you can find some exercises that lead you up into that. My curriculum that I wrote many years ago is literally incremental. It's like, so you get to the big thing of circle cast casting after doing 20 other different lessons, because once you get to circle casting, it's easy because you've done all the other bits. So try and break down what it is that you are wanting to do. Try and get some understanding about why something is going to happen and why you want to do it then break it down and practice and know that you'll stumble and that's fine. Pretty sound advice. It's the same right, advice well, everyone else gives. I mean, but you know what people, I think that people sometimes need to hear it from other perspectives. You know, like, have you ever heard some advice or like you have advice that you'll give yourself, but it's not until another, like you or like a, your friend or a parent or somebody you really trust or respect says it to you, then it kind of clicks in your head. Yeah. Yep. I think it's one of those things. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so how could people find you if they want to get in contact with you? I know you mentioned that you were going to be posting some links on Witches Seeking Witchcraft. Uh, we yep. can time that out around the time that this episode comes out as well. Yeah, we can. And um, I, I'm happy to do that. You can contact me through um, that group. Um, my name is Gabrielle Cleary, C-L-E-A-R-Y, on um, on that group. So you can um, send me a message, not a problem. But um, also we have a website um which is applegroveonline.com um you can't contact us through there anymore because i think that web that email's kind of defunct but um but you can read a lot of the stuff that we're doing but just yeah through the witches seeking witchcraft facebook group is fine um because then i can answer questions that everyone um might be asking the same question Uh, but i'm happy to chat to people it's not a problem. Awesome. All right. And, uh, you know, as, as always, if anybody's curious about finding me, um, you can find me on Twitter at Seek Witchcraft, Instagram at Seeking Witchcraft, or on Facebook. As Gabby mentioned, there is a Facebook group called Witches Seeking Witchcraft. Please answer the questions if you want to join the group. Um, or there's also a Facebook page, like a like page with where I post memes called uh, Seeking Witchcraft Podcast. And um, if you're interested in supporting the show, uh, I have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Seeking Witchcraft. So. Excellent. All right. 
Well, thank you again so much for sharing this amazing knowledge and wisdom and singing for us. I mean, this has been this has been such a fun like two episodes to record. I, I'm so stoked to hear when they get published and, and see how people react to them. I think that this is going to go really great. Oh, thanks. Or they could just hate it and go, who is this strange Australian chanting at us from, <laughs> like, early in the morning? It's, um, no, it no. But thank you so much for having me. It was, it's been a delight. Absolutely. Well, uh, we will, I guess I'll talk to you all very soon. And um, thank you again, Gabby, so much for coming on. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.